You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. Amen. Well, it is the season. We're going into the Christmas season, and, and uh, you know, Christmas has so many connotations for different people. You know, um, you know some people have very fond Christmas memories. Uh, some people might have memories of, of family disputes stemming from a Christmas season. Um, you know, but Christmas really is, is, is a special season, and uh, it's one that the church has been celebrating for 2,000 years or more as we sung about just there. But um, this year, um, I just wanted to share a little bit more uh, about Advent. And I know in evangelical circles, sometimes Advent is not always, um, is not, it's not really always emphasized as it is in some other Christian traditions of some of the more um, perhaps Orthodox or, or Catholic or, or traditional Protestantism. Um, but, you know, my mom came from, from England, and um, a few years ago, uh, when my grandmother passed away, uh, we were in England, and one of the things I brought home with me that was my grandmother's was her common prayer book from the Church of England. And I've been really fascinated reading through the readings, um, reading through the liturgical um, readings throughout the year of what have been traditionally uh, the year that we would cycle through as, as a Christian church. And um, one section there is on Advent, and it's been fun to read some of the readings and the hymns associated with Advent. And to kind of put us, re and I, on a little bit of a, of a journey the last couple of years about reading about Advent, uh, listening to some podcasts about Advent, and learning about some of the, the origins of, of some of the traditions that the Christian church has held that um, many of them um, in modern-day evangelical churches we've, we don't follow. Um, but I think there's sometimes some value in some of the traditions um, of the past. And at least I'm reflecting on the origin of them and why it became a tradition in the first place. What was it intended to, to signify? What was it intended to pass on to the next generation that was important enough to mark with the holy day with a celebration, with a season of remembrance or a season of preparation. You know, we know that it's important to God that we remember him. We, we remember particular things. In particular, we see with Passover. You know, that God established the Passover feast so that the people of Israel would always remember their God, the deliverer who delivered them out of Egypt they would not forget what God did in their lives and what he did in the past, that the next generation would know what it's all about. You know, Advent is the season of preparation leading up to Christmas. And, and for some of you that grew up in traditional churches, you would know it's 40 days leading up to Christmas. And likewise, around Easter time, they have Lent, which is celebrated 40 days leading up to um, Good Friday. 
And what's interesting is that the liturgical calendar that we don't always follow here at Kola Community Church walks us through God's redemptive plan every year. And it's important that we have a familiarity with what the gospel's about. What was it that Jesus came for? How did he come? What did he accomplish when he came? And what is he yet still to do? What are the promises still left unfulfilled that he has promised to fulfill in our lives? Some of them even in us and through us as we move to the end of the age. You know, Christmas is clearly the celebration of the birth of the Savior of the world. You know, it's a celebration of the first coming of Jesus the Messiah. And it's a remembrance that the Son of God came to earth in great humility as a baby to fulfill the promises of God. You know, he was the Word made flesh who came and dwelt among us, John said. You know, it's a significant thing if you think about it that God chose to send his son to earth not as a fully grown man, not as a conqueror on the back of a, of a horse with a sword, but to initially send him in the most vulnerable state possible, with the most humanity possible, in the form of a young child, born to a king? No, born to Joseph and Mary, and entrusted to them to raise and to nurture so that he would be able to fulfill the promises of God and fulfill the promise that God made that it was through the Davidic line, the line of King David, that the Messiah would come. Amazing thing that the Son of God came as a baby. You know, Epiphany is another celebration that many Christians all over the world celebrate in, in early January, on January 6th, which for anybody that's Ukrainian or came from an Orthodox background would recognize as Christmas Eve um, of Orthodox. And um, it's amazing because, you know, um, they also celebrate uh, the wise men. Sometimes Epiphany is also known as Three Kings Day. And they also acknowledge that the three wise men that came bearing gifts for the Messiah that God came in human flesh, and the wise men came and be gifted on them gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I shared about last year about how these three things were traditional things that were required for a king's burial. And we see it represented even in the Valley of the Kings with the mummies um, of the kings of Egypt, that their bodies were preserved using salt and, and spices of, of frankincense and myrrh. And then they were wrapped in linens. And then their bodies were encased in gold sarcophaguses. And the three gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus were everything a king would need for his burial, which is fascinating. But also the value of these gifts was immense. Was immense. These weren't just like you know, oh, I, I forgot it's your birthday. I'll just stop by Shoppers Drug Mart and pick something up. Gifts. These gifts were of immense value. Fitted for a king. Lent, which leads up to Easter, begins on Ash Wednesday. And Lent is a season of reflection and preparation of our hearts 
um, as we enter into the Easter season and reflect on the cross and the crucifixion and what took place, what took place, what God did so that we could be called sons and daughters of God, an amazing thing. You know, but this year I felt like it was important in this Advent season to acknowledge Advent. And as my wife and I have been exploring Advent, I just wanted to share a little bit of the significance that, that we've been finding in Advent with you. And as you go about your Christmas season, that you would not consider Christmas to begin and end on the 21st first and end after Boxing Day. But that we'd acknowledge the entire month of December as a month of reflecting on what God did honoring God and worshiping him in a new way and maybe rediscovering some aspects of, of ancient tradition um, that we can hold on to today that can be meaningful and valuable to us and to the next generation. The word Advent finds its root in the Latin word meaning coming. So it simply means coming. You know, the Latin term used for centuries concerning Advent was Adventus Domini, which means the coming of the Lord. And that's what Christmas is. It's a celebration and a recognition of the coming of Jesus to this earth. It's the historical birth of Jesus, but it's also how he comes into our life today, how he's present with us today. But it is also cognizant of the fact that Jesus is coming again. That Jesus is coming again at the end of the age. It was early as the 8th century we have recordings and writings of things that were recited um, during the Christmas season in regards to preparing for, for Christmas. You know, many traditions recite scriptures and light candles on each of the Sundays leading up to Christmas. Um, this particular wreath is nothing, sp it's special to me this year, but in and of itself, it was technically uh, one of those wreaths that we used on the door that we didn't have a door for this year. So I was very grateful for that. I was able to use it. And um, we got four candles here in the Advent wreath. And, and you'll notice that there's three kind of purple-colored ones and a lighter pink-colored candle. And um, traditionally, each one of these candles has a different significance or meaning, something to reflect on during the Christmas season that kind of works you through the Christmas story. And that's what I kind of like about, about Advent is it's a way that as a family, especially if you have young kids, you know, that you can have a special meal by candlelight. How special is that in the modern day to turn off the lights and have a, a supper with your children with only candles lighting the room, reminding us that Jesus was the light of the world, reminding us that he came at darkness fleet. Um, so a candle is lit every Sunday, and then there's scriptures that traditionally have been read aligning with each candle that tell the Christmas story. And in modern-day adaptions of the Advent candle, um, some churches have the Christ candle, which they call it, which is a white candle in the middle of the wreath. And so that candle is lit on Christmas Eve when Jesus came. That's what it signifies, that the Christ has come. And, uh, you know, the wreath, there's a, a couple of different traditional uh, ways of thinking about the wreath itself. Um, the wreath has also traditionally been known as the crown, can be symbolic to the, the crown that Jesus wore. But, but in a large way, most of the traditions that I've read about consider the wreath to be the fact that it's an eternal circle. And it reminds us of the eternity of God, the immortality of the human soul. 
and the fact that we're going to get to spend um, time with God forever, that, that we are eternal beings now living in relationship with God, part of the family of God, communing with God um, forever, for all of eternity. And um, so that's kind of um, the wreath there. And many of you, I'm sure, that grew up with, with Advent as a tradition would know probably far more than me and maybe your parents or your local churches had, had traditions surrounding those. Um, the first candle um, of the Advent season is purple. It's known as the prophecy candle or the hope candle. And the idea is that we have hope because God keeps his promises and our hope comes from God. You know, just as throughout the centuries, all people of God and, and people that we read about in the Old Testament, they had promises of God that they're waiting on for their fulfillment. And many of the promises of God have been passed down to us through the writings of prophetic voices, like Isaiah and Micah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And so this morning, I don't know, I, I didn't grow up in the church, and so I never did anything like this, so I feel like I'm re, rediscovering it, really. Um, but I'm going to light the prophecy candle as we talk about hope this morning. And, um, and my prayers for any of us that maybe, you know, have never done an Advent wreath would find some value in it, would reflect on why is it that the church has done this for 2,000 years? Why was this something that, in particular that was established so early on in the Christian faith and still is around today. I think that's pretty cool when something sticks around that long. And, and the more you read about it, it's not just an empty tradition. You know, it has some value. And, you know, sometimes I think in evangelical circles, we think that we're not traditional, but we definitely have our own traditions. And the reason I know that we have our own traditions is because once in a while when I try to change something around here, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. Sometimes small little changes can really be like, oh my goodness, what is going on? And it's because we have our own traditions. We have our own ways of doing things that we don't view as tradition. But misses and gentlemen, they are traditions. The ways that we do things week after week, the way we choose to worship, the music we listen to, the way that we engage with one another during a worship service, the way we conduct communion, we form our own traditions. And there's nothing inherently bad about a tradition or even rites and rituals per se. It's when we lose the purpose behind them and they become an empty form of religion that it becomes a problem. But traditions in and of themselves, I think every family has traditions, has legacies of things that they pass on to the next generation. You know, for some it's the prayer before bed with the kids. Maybe it's reading books before, before bedtime. Maybe it's, it's opening one gift on Christmas Eve. And maybe it's socks and pajamas, or maybe it's grandma's gift that she sends from afar every year. And, and you establish these traditions because they have meaning and significance to you and your family. And so we're not above tradition. We have our own traditions. This is a historical tradition that is still lived out in many of the churches. And this morning, I want to find the value in it and be able to pull what is significant of it and to make it relevant for our lives today, wherever we are. So the Jewish community during the time of Jesus were waiting for the coming of the promised Messiah. 
three prophetic words that were given in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah. One comes from Micah 5.2. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be the ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. You know, a lot of translations will say from ancient days. If you have a King James or a New King James, it probably says from ancient days. Isaiah 11 is another. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. Those that don't know Jesse is Jesse was the father of King David. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him in the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord and he will not judge by what his eyes see nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor and decide their fairness for the afflicted of the earth. You know, it's interesting that Jesus didn't, didn't live by the constraints of, of, the, of, of his mind. That the Bible says that he only did and said what he saw the Father doing. That he did not live entirely on this realm, but he lived from a place of a higher spiritual reality, that of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And it's the type of loving that we're called to, to not just see things from a natural plane, but to see things from God's point of view, to have a heavenly perspective on our life and our world and how God fits into everything. Isaiah 61, a very, very famous passage of scripture Concerning the coming Messiah, it says, The Spirit of, God, of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And many of you will be uh, familiar with the fact that Jesus, at the start of his ministry, goes into the temple and he picks up the scroll of Isaiah, reads this passage, and sits down. And says, oh, by the way, uh, this passage was fulfilled today in my speaking and reading of this, this scroll. Profound thing. But often the way we see God move is he'll give a promise. And then there'll be a season of waiting, of anticipation for the fulfillment of that promise and that God fulfills the promise. But often how God fulfills the promises is, is different than man has preconceived what the promise would look like. And so often when we read about the promises of God, even of the coming Messiah, we see aspects of Jesus that aren't necessarily reflected in his ministry. And the reason is, you know, for the, the reason is that Jesus came once, went to heaven, and is coming again. And so the prophecies about Jesus that have yet to be fulfilled are going to be fulfilled in the second coming of Christ. But some people in, back in Jesus' day didn't see a distinction. They didn't recognize that there would be two comings. They expected a victorious leader, a political power to come and to sweep through the land and restore the kingdom of Israel on this earth and to rule the world. And it came in a very unexpected way, the first part of this saga. You know, I love just thinking about the third part of the trilogy of Lord of the Rings, 
the return of the king, the epic battle that takes place to save the realm from death and destruction. And that's what it is, is that God came and he's coming again and the re- king is coming again. He's the return of the king. Sega is coming in real life to us. And we won't have to watch it in a movie. The humanity is going to experience it and it's going to change the world forever. You know, here's a, a, a picture, a contrast here of, of two comings. The first one on the left side is, is a classical nativity picture of the Messiah who came and came in humility and, you know, was born in a, in a stable, born in a place that was fit for animals, but not really for, for human living. Um, and on the, the other side here is, is, is a picture from the Sistine's Chapel behind the altar. It was painted by Michelangelo and it's called The Last Judgment. And what Michelangelo was trying to depict here was the return of Christ, the coming of Christ. And it's hard to see in this picture because um, the quality of it, but um, this thing is like really, really old. It's amazing that it even looks that good, really. Like God's preserved this, this, this painting. Um, but if you look all around, there's the angelic host and you, you see angels blowing trumpets and, and that which you can read about in Revelation and, and, and other places in the Bible is depicted in, in this picture here behind the altar. And I think the reason it's behind the altar is because they're always looking forward, that when you are worshiping God, that is, we're remembering that Christ is coming again. And for me, Advent isn't about looking backwards exclusively. It's about reflecting on the past, reflecting on the birth of Christ, what that means, but then looking forward to the promises of God that are yet to be fulfilled in our life. And... Um, and that's what I hope that, that we do this morning is reflect on that promise of the return of the king and what that means and, and what that means for us and how we need to be living our life and what God has called us to, that we would be fruitful in our goings about, so that we wouldn't um, be caught off guard when he returns, but that we would live every day with expectation that he could come back any day. And we don't know when it is that he's going to return but we know that he is because he always fulfills his promises. You know, we currently sit now in that line between those two pictures. We sit between the two comings. When he came in great humility at the first Christmas and when he will come again in his glorious majesty. This is where we find ourselves today. You know, Jesus came to earth to establish his kingdom, but the full fulfillment of all things is yet to come. In a way, Advent is acknowledging that we are in a season of waiting, a season of longing, a season of expectation, that we are waiting for the return of Christ, that we are waiting for the fulfillment of all God's promises. You know, for many of us, it might feel like that's an impediment or a problem, waiting, having to wait. Who here likes to wait? Anybody? No, we've been conditioned to not like to wait, haven't we? You know, and I know because I see you guys driving home from work. Many of you are in a rush. No, me too. I don't know if you've ever caught yourself driving home and you're like 
driving really aggressively and all of a sudden you stop yourself, you're like, why am I driving like this? Like, I have nowhere to be tonight. I'm just going home. Like, I'm not even in a rush, but everything in me is like, I'm in a rush. I'm in a rush. Why is it that we're always in a rush, even when we're rushing nowhere? You know, there's a quote that I read not too long ago that said, some people think that busyness is of the devil. But I say that busyness is the devil. You know, it's interesting. Busyness is of the devil or is it the devil? The point is, is that busyness is something that the enemy uses to distract us from what's really important. And we see around Christmas season, especially their distractions are paramount. They're everywhere. You know, we just, we just passed one Black Friday. I know I saw somebody posted something on Facebook that said like, um, save 100, I think Jason showed it to me. It was like, save 100% this Black Friday, stay at home. Um, don't spend any of your money. But we have been conditioned for Christmas to be a season of havoc, a season, a season of rushing around, a season of expectation for the wrong things, an expectation for gifts, for getting the gift that God gave us in the birth of his son on this earth. And we don't like to wait, but waiting is actually a gift. It's a precious gift, even though we don't always see it that way. You know, perhaps this year we should reflect on why we feel like we're in such a rush, especially when we're in no rush. And maybe this year we could reflect on what is truly important. What is it that we want this Christmas season to be about? What is it that we want our children to remember about Christmas of 2019? When they think back on this year. Was it the amazing gifts they got? I guarantee you very few of them are going to remember what they got this year 10 years from now. I can't give you a list of every gift I got every Christmas. Although gifts were definitely a part of Christmas. An important part for my mom because gift giving is part of her love language. She loves giving gifts and seeing us unwrap them. And not only do they have to have, does each child have to have the same value, same dollar amount spent on each of them, but each of them has to have the same number of gifts. So as growing up, if, if like I remember one year, my sister had bought, had asked for a, a stereo, like a big, giant, loud, booming stereo. And it was right at the top of the, the dollar limit that my mom gave for Christmas that year. My brother and I had all these series of little gifts. And so literally, my sister had this gigantic box with her that she knew what her gift was. And we were still you know, unwrapping things. And then my mom brings out this other box that has all these little teeny tiny wrapped things. The same number of gifts wrapped as my brother and I had. And they're all just like, there'd be like one little like hair scrunchie wrapped up. There'd be like uh, a toothbrush wrapped up. And so like my mom like insisted that we'd all open one present at a time and that we'd all have the same number of gifts. And it was kind of ridiculous when I think about it now. But I guess as a kid sitting there watching everyone else open gifts when you just opened your one isn't that exciting. So my mom spared us that, I guess. But, you know, sometimes we can make Christmas about so many things that it shouldn't be. But I, what I want to communicate to you this morning is that you get to choose what Christmas looks like for you and your family that you do not have to be driven by consumerism. You don't have to be driven 
by the traditions of the world that you get to choose what it's about. And you get to choose what traditions that you as a family form and pass to your children. And my plea to you is that you choose things that are significant to you. What is important to you that you want to pass to the next generation? And think through how can we present that in a way that they'll, that's fun, that they'll remember, and that they'll want to pass that to their kids. That's what a tradition is. It's passing on what is of value and giving it legs so that you have a legacy that goes for generations. Giving it legs. Yeah. You know, maybe this year, it's making a twist to Advent. I don't know if any of you guys do Advent calendars. Yeah? We definitely do Advent calendars. As a kid, you know, we always had the gross, ugly, you know, tacky, cheap chocolate calendars that you'd open with a little chocolate each day and, and eat it. That was what we always had in our house, and we'd always rush home from school, and we'd eat it after school, and it was always a fun thing. But th there was nothing associated with it. It was just a chocolate calendar. That was it. There was no significance. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. It was just, that was just part of Christmas. It had usually a picture of Santa Claus on the front. And um, the whole history and purpose of Advent was completely lost on me as a child. It meant chocolate once a day for 24 days. Woo! Who doesn't like that? You know, this year, Tiffany & Co. Who knows Tiffany & Co.? It's a, it's a famous, expensive jewelry company. They have put out an advent calendar that you can purchase for the uh, low price of $122,000 this year. And each day has a little precious something for your honey and um, diamonds, yes. And, um, well, just so you know, ladies, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> like, like, it's, it's ridiculous what, what Advent has become, literally. Can you imagine? Like, wow, even, even if I had $122,000 that I was like, oh, what am I going to do with this $122,000? Sorry, Rhea, that would not be it. Um, just wouldn't. <laughs> you know? But Advent, it's a season of waiting. It's a season of recognizing each day that there's a day tomorrow and a day after, and it's... it's is acknowledging that we're preparing for something significant. And, um, you know, we don't like waiting, but yet God all the time is causing us to wait. All the time, life causes us to wait. When we were at the checkout line at No Frills, we're there with our cart, and we're walking up and we're eyeing up which lane is going to be the fastest, and you're working your way there and you're trying to squeeze in before the next person. Who does that? Who's eyeing up which lane is going to be the fastest checkout lane? I know you do it. I know you do, because many of us do. That's what we do. We're always in a rush. But a season of waiting, I want to remind you guys this morning, is not wasted. Waiting does not have to be a wasted season. You know, remember that God works on a different time schedule than we do, that we see time as a linear thing, as beginning, middle, and end. But that's not the way that God sees time. Because God exists outside of time. He sees the beginning, the middle, and the end all at the same time. 
And not only that, he enters himself into time and plays around with it a bit. And that our prayers can actually activate and move the hand of God. He's still a sovereign God. He's still in charge. He gets to do what he likes. But he can prompt us to pray his will, that we can ask for things, and he's a good, good father, and he'll respond to our prayers when we seek him with our whole heart and without selfish motive. God will move in our lives and respond to our prayers. But sometimes he keeps us in waiting. Abraham and Sarah are classic examples of people who are put in waiting, a waiting room of a lot of years waiting for a child. But God promised a child to Abraham and Sarah, and he promised that, that their seed would bless the entire world, which it did. The people of Israel had this promise for the coming of the Messiah, and he put them in waiting. They were in an extended waiting room for quite a long time. You know, today we are still waiting for the second coming of Jesus. We are in a state of waiting. We're in a second advent, if you will, awaiting the second coming. And God has a reason sometimes for unveiling his plans as he does on his calendar. You know, I recently read a book about prayer, and I had an expert uh, about um, unanswered prayer, sometimes why God del- seemingly delays giving answers to prayer. And he had this little section that was written by St. Augustine. And um, after many years of contemplation and praying about why God seems to delay these seemingly good prayers of a seemingly righteous man, he concluded that there are times that God may desire the heart of a person to expand in order to be ready to receive the blessing that God wants to give him. He concluded that sometimes God is preparing us to be able to steward the blessing that he wants to pour into our lives. And that if he were to give it to us too early, we might squander it. We might might not respect it. We might not honor it and recognize it for what it truly is. And we may not be ready to bear that responsibility. And one of my favorite lines from Spider-Man, not the new one with Tom Holland, but the old one, McIntyre, is with great power comes great responsibility. Good old wise Uncle Ben. And I think it's something that I've always held on to. With great power comes great responsibility. And we all have a great responsibility put on us as sons and daughters of God to go and fulfill the purposes of God in this world. One, by sharing our faith, by being real to people, by loving our neighbor, by acknowledging a need of someone around us having the ability to fulfill it and fulfilling it for somebody. But yet doing it in such a way that you're not looking for the attention and the glory yourself, but directing it back to God. One way that the Bible suggests we do that is to do good things and to not let it known that you did it. The secret Santa idea of be gifting, giving a gift from an anonymous source and, and the person, even the person receiving the gift, not knowing who it came from. You know, the, the Bible puts it this way, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You know, seasons of waiting are not wasted. And this year, as we are hurrying around doing our Christmas stuff, I want to encourage you guys to think about the moments that you have to wait. 
next time that you're contemplating speeding up when you see that yellow light to burn through that intersection so that you don't have to wait that 20 to 30 seconds for the light to change again. Maybe slow down, because the roads might be a little icy. And take those 20 seconds to talk to God. Maybe make those little moments of waiting throughout your day, moments that you're going to say, I'm going to talk to God, I'm going to pray, but I think about the people on my prayer list, and I'm going to lift them up in prayer. Maybe you're going to take those moments of when you're forced to wait at the light, or maybe you're in the checkout, or maybe you're at the doctor's office in the waiting room, and you're waiting, and you were, your appointment was at 9, and now it's 9.35, and you're starting to feel a little bit antsy. Maybe take a moment to look around the room and see what God is saying in that moment. What is he directing you to do, to say, to pray for? Find God in those moments. There aren't wasted moments. Sometimes waiting is a gift. And God is just waiting for you to unwrap it rather than neglect it. Advent is a season of waiting, of longing for the coming of the Lord. It's about putting ourselves on God's timetable instead of our own. In Romans 15, 12, Paul quotes the book of Isaiah. He says, the root of Jesse will spring up one who will rise to be ruler of the nations, and in him the Gentiles will hope. The Gentiles will hope. Well, that's me. Thank God for gaps and times of waiting. And um, because if God had come and fulfilled it all 2,000 years ago, what would have come of me? I don't know. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have even been a twinkle in my father's eye because his eye wouldn't have ever been created. But, you know, hope is directly connected to our faith. This is the point that I want to make, is that we have a hope in a God who's going to fulfill his promises One way that we say it often in this church is that God is faithful. God is faithful to fulfill that which he has promised. But he won't always do it in the way that we expect. You know, our hope is connected to faith. Sometimes we think about hope as like this ill-fated wishing. It's just like, oh, yeah, I wish that happens one day. Yeah, I hope that I win the lottery one day. But the type of hope that is transferred by prophetic words and the promises of God in the word of God are not a flippant type of hope. They have a strong foundation to them. It's a strong conviction that God is going to fulfill that which is which he promised. Our hope is tied to our faith. If we have faith in Christ, then our hope is in him. If we don't have faith in Christ, then our hope is in anything you want it to be. But it's ill-placed. Because our hope, the hope candle is representative of our hope is in the king who is coming again to restore all things that are upside down, to right a wrong world, and for his kingdom to reign on this earth as it is in heaven. You know, hope is provided to us and for us through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And ultimately, the hope for us is that this is not the end, that this life that we are living now is not the end of the story. This is like the rehearsal part of the play that we are now in a season where we are preparing for eternity. 
You know, 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It says in the next verse, to obtain an inheritance. I put and. I forget the D. It doesn't exist. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. For you are protected by the power of God through the faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. See, hope is available to us through his resurrection from the dead. You know, sometimes we live through life and we're going through the motions of life and we begin to feel like this is all there is. But there's more. There's life after death for all those who put their faith in Jesus. You know, the vexed verse here says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. You know, we have a hope that carries us through the trials of life. Hope has a strong foundation. Hope has substance. A wish is fleeting. Hope has substance, and it carries us through the trials. You know, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believer who have died, so that you will not grieve like those who have no hope, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We have hope. You know, Jesus here is not saying, we're, Paul is not saying that we're never going to grieve. That we're not going to have trials. No, he's saying the opposite. He's saying we're going to go through trials. There will be seasons of mourning, but we're not going to mourn like those who have no hope. When our husband or wife passes away, we know that they had a strong, thriving relationship with Jesus. We have a hope that we're going to see them again, that they are with Jesus. And so we don't mourn in the same way as someone who we believe to be lost or someone who has no idea what happens after we die, that the great mystery is completely unfolded for them. We will mourn, but we won't mourn as though we have no hope. Verse 15 says, We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a con commanding shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are all alive and remain on this earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. This morning I want to encourage you with these words that this is not the end. This is not all there is. That your faithfulness through the trial, your faithfulness in the little thing is storing up great treasures for you in heaven. Great blessings for you in heaven. And it's, those are the things that are imperishable. 
the things that won't rust, won't, won't rust, won't be eaten up by moths, but are being stored up in heaven for you. You know, this is the hope that we have today, living between the two comings of Christ. Christ, when he came at the first Christmas, and now as we wait for the coming of Christ, this is the significance of the birth, of his birth that preceded his death and resurrection that us as Gentiles have the opportunity to be part of the promise of God. You know, today we have the opportunity to be born again, to have life eternal, because God chose to come two times. He is patient in returning, the Bible says, so that we can continue to fulfill the call that he's given to the church, and that is to lead people to Jesus, to introduce them to the person of Jesus. You know, the Bible says that God desires that none would perish, and therefore we must continue to fulfill that which God has put on us, which is the Great Commission, to share our hope and our faith uh, with the world. You know, God has seemingly delayed his return, the Bible says, so that many more will come to him. And we know that as the word of God is preached and proclaimed in every nation throughout the world, that we are coming closer and closer and closer to the end when God will fulfill all these things. Today we have hope in Jesus that though we do not see him physically, we love him. And though we do not see him now, we believe in him. And we have a reason to greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. In Romans 15, 13, I'm going to close with this this morning. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need to be as people of hope. There are many hopeless people in our community, but we have a hope in Jesus. So why doesn't this year be a year that we share it with our neighbors and continue to pray for opportunities to see our community transformed by the gospel and the love of Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, Father God, I just thank you this morning. Lord, I thank you for Advent. Lord, I thank you, God, that traditionally we have 40 days of preparation for Christmas to reflect on your goodness, to reflect on your promises that are yet to be fulfilled and the significance of how you came into this earth as a humble little baby, how you lived among us, dwelt among us. God, I thank you, Lord, that you understand what it means to be human. Jesus, you know what it means to be hungry. You know what it means to have your emotions hurt. You know what it means to feel pain. You know what it means to be tempted. And God, I thank you, Lord, that you've gifted us your Holy Spirit. Lord, that we can overcome all things through Christ who gives us strength, through the power of your Holy Spirit in our life.
I just pray, Lord, that this season of Advent, God, that we would reflect on our own family traditions. Lord, that we would rediscover that which is significant and important to us, that we want to relay to our next generation, to our children and their children after that. And Lord, that we would not be flippant about Christmas this year, but God, that we would, we would reflect on you every day. And from now until Christmas, for the next 24 days, as we open up our Advent calendars, as we go about our Christmas duties and preparing for, for Christmas, Lord, that we wouldn't lose sight of what it's all about, that it's about you. And Lord, it's about family. It's about the coming of the Messiah to us, a great light who came and shone in the darkness. So Lord, we thank you this morning. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.